Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast, episode 57. It's the preview of the NHL draft and NHL free agency coming up this week. And hi, I am your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And remember, with the draft and free agency coming up this week, it is silly season on social media. So please look for the blue check mark, the verification that it is my verified account. Uh, There are imposters out there, so please don't be fooled by uh, misinformation. And uh, like I said, we're going to get you ready uh, for the two-day NHL draft. That's round one on Tuesday night, starting at seven, and rounds two through seven on Wednesday, beginning at 11.30 in the morning. The Islanders, of course, do not have a first or a second round pick. Lou Lamarillo sent those along to the Ottawa Senators on February 24th for center Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously with the Islanders, Getting to the Eastern Conference Finals this season uh, with Pajot playing a big uh, part and Pajot uh, signing a six-year, $30 million extension. Is that a first and a second round pick well spent? Probably will wind up uh, being so. The Islanders... Uh, wound up, uh, like I said, having advanced all the way to the conference finals. Their pick is 28th in each round. So it would have been uh, overall number 28. You know, I think uh, there's a supplemental pick. So I think it was 57 in the second round. Or, uh, But anyway, so rounds three through seven, they will be picking 28th in each of those rounds. And then, of course, on Friday at noon, uh, you get the ding, ding, ding of the uh, opening bell for the free agent market. And uh, obviously, the Islanders' priority right now is their three restricted free agents. And that would be Matthew Barzell, defenseman Ryan Pulak, and defenseman Devon Taze. But uh, to discuss all of that, free agency, what the Islanders might do and uh, overall view of the draft. I, I, I spoke with Brian Lawton of the NHL Network. You know, Brian is uh, in 1983 was the first American to be the number one overall pick in the NHL draft when the Minnesota North Stars took him. Uh, Brian Lawton went on to uh, be the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, before Stevie Iserman, and before he was a GM, he was a longtime player agent as well, and now an analyst for the NHL Network. So Brian Lawton has seen the NHL from from really all sides. So it was really good to uh, get his input, and uh, I'll bring you to that interview very shortly. And then after we talk to Brian, I'll answer some uh, some questions via Twitter in the Andrews Answers segment. But uh, before getting to Brian, uh, like I said, NHL draft uh, starts Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, I, I don't think it's likely that the Islanders are going to trade up and get a first-round pick. 
um, or even uh, recoup a, a second round pick. Uh, I think they will be picking uh, in the third round. And, uh, you know, Colin Stevenson and I, uh, if you haven't seen it, please go to newsday.com backslash sports. We did a, uh, a mock draft of the top 31 picks. But uh, doing NHL mock drafts, uh, it's, you know, uh, much like the real draft itself at times, kind of a, a crapshoot trying to uh, nail what every team is looking for. There's a lot of uh, smoke screens and, uh, you know, espionage going on. And uh, certainly with Lou Lamarillo, he's not very forthcoming as to what the team's uh, organizational desires are going into the draft, particularly with their first pick coming at number 90. I mean, you can look through the prospect rankings and kind of project who might be available there. If you want to get an idea of, you know, who might be uh, going to the Islanders. But really, you know, if it's me, I I think Lou might try and get a defenseman. But really, at number 90, uh, and certainly all through the draft, you're you're taking the best available player off your particular board. And and that's why it, it becomes so hard to project as you get deeper and deeper into the draft, because each team's draft board can be so radically different the way they grade their players, uh, the the organizational scouts. So who the Islanders might be looking at at number 90 uh, might be completely different than, say, who the Los Angeles Kings might be looking at if they were picking in that spot. Or, or you get the idea. So uh, trying to project a, a, you know, a number 90 pick in the, in the third round is, is kind of tough. Like I said, I kind of think Lou might be thinking some defense depth for the organization. Uh, you can never have enough of that. And Lou Lamarillo always builds his teams like like good management does. You build from the net on out. And certainly with Ilya Sorokin being signed and uh, Varlamov uh, being signed uh, and Jacob Skarek, uh, you know, uh, coming on, uh, the organization liked what they saw in Linus Soderstrom, uh, who, who they have to get in on a new deal. Um, there is goalie talent in the organization. Uh, you probably never have enough goalie depth either. But I, I, I don't know that they're going to go for a goalie in the third round unless it, it, it's clearly someone so far and above on their draft board that it doesn't make sense to go anywhere else. But, uh, you know, I, I jotted down some defenseman names here of who could possibly be available around that spot. And again, you know, I'm just, you know, throwing the spaghetti on the wall here. But uh, you got a Czech defenseman, uh, Michael Krutil, uh from the WHL. You got a defenseman, Castor Puti, or nope, sorry, Putio. Couldn't read my own writing. Uh, from the Qu- Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, you have a defenseman, William Villanueva from the OHL, a defenseman, Jack Thompson, uh, U.S. Uh, National Development Team Program, defenseman, uh, Eamon Powell, and again, back to the WHL, a defenseman, Christopher Sediff. Uh, Let's see, uh, Donovan Schrango, I believe, and that's from the OHL and maybe... Uh, from Sweden, you got these two defensemen, uh, Anton uh, Johansson and Samuel Johansson. And, and maybe those are players who might be available around number 90. You know, obviously, Luke could uh, go a different way. Uh, you know, he's been 
pretty even when he's done his two drafts with the Islanders, this being Lou's uh, third draft that he's running with the Islanders. And again, you know, he, he if you listen to the previous podcast, the Lou Lamarillo episode on uh, episode 56, uh, where we uh, kind of cut and pasted his quotes from his end of season press conference, and he was talking about the draft, you heard that he really credits uh, his son, Chris Lamarillo, and uh, Steve Pellegrini, his two assistant GMs, for really organizing everything while he was in the uh, bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. So, uh, obviously, he could go forwards. As I said, over his two years as a uh, Islanders GM, he's had 13 overall picks. And, uh, you know, this this year I mentioned he does not have a first or a second round pick. But in his first two years, uh, he's had three first round picks and three second round picks. That's overall the two years combined. And if you look at his 13 picks overall, um, I believe we mentioned this on the last pod as well. He's been fairly right down the middle. He's taken four defensemen, he's taken four centers, and he's taken four wings and one goalie. And that adds up to 13, even by my shaky math. Um, you know, three needs going into the draft, and, and I kind of pinpointed that you always need speed. Speed, 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 and more speed. You can't get enough in the NHL, particularly when you have a guy like Matthew Barzell uh, centering your top line. You want a guy who's ultimately able to skate a- at that speed. Um, so it doesn't matter what position. Defenseman, you need speed to get the puck up the ice. Uh, forwards, you need speed to keep up and get in on the forecheck and create timing, time and space and, uh, you know, get open on the uh, off wing for, uh, you know, two on one shots. You need speed all over the ice. So I, I certainly think uh, Lou and company will be uh, prioritizing that. Uh, I also think, you know, if you're looking at forwards specifically, uh, you know, not that you're going to draft Anders Lee 2.0. Um, Andrews being a, a pretty decent NHL player, uh, but you do want guys with size, uh, or at least a few guys with size who can get to the net, screen the goalie, pound in a rebound. You you, you want those kind of power forwards, and and I, I I think you know Lou could be on the lookout for that as well. Um, and like I said, I, I I wouldn't shock me if he goes defense first. Uh, I don't think you can ever get enough defensemen or uh, goalies into your organization. And, you know, one guy I've kind of, uh, I've had fun following and, you know, reading about his story, a kid from up in uh, the Toronto region, uh, Zade Wisdom. First of all, the name gets you, of course, right? Zade Wisdom. But, uh, you know, watching some video on him, he's one of those guys who gets to the net. He's a right shooting uh, right wing. Obviously, all the video always looks good on these guys, right? But he, he really seems like he has a nose for the net. I don't think he's going to get anywhere close to where the Islanders are picking your you're you're looking at a guy who's projected late second round, maybe early early first round. But if Zade Wisdom uh, was ever on the board when the Islanders pick, uh, I, I certainly like him. You know, I know he pronounces his first name Zade, <laughs> but I'm looking at this, and you know, in Yiddish, uh, grandfather Zadie, 
Um, and, and he, you know, you could pronounce his name Zadie Wisdom. And, and what, what more do you want than a grandfather Wisdom, right? I, I think that would be tremendous. But uh, again, uh, Zade Wisdom is, is one guy I'm going to be real interested to see where he goes. And like I said, I, I don't think he's going to get close to where the Islanders are picking. So, so good luck to Zade and good luck to uh, all the prospects going into this draft. I, I know it's, you know, uh, up till now, you know, probably being drafted by an NHL team is the most exciting thing that, that's happened to you. So uh, this is a huge week, even if this draft is being conducted virtually, uh, just a huge week for all these players and their families and, uh, you know, uh, happy for everyone who who gets to hear his name called, even if it is uh, virtually. And, uh, you know, you get through the draft, like I said, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then uh, uh, on Friday at noon, uh, some more craziness uh, begins, and you'll hear Brian Lawton uh, uh, call it chaos, probably more chaos at any point than when they first uh, put in the the uh, salary cap for the first time, uh, just because of uh, you know a flat salary cap now, and uh, a lot of teams looking to shed salary rather than add on. And you know uh, we discuss all of that with Brian. And like I said, the Islanders' first priority is going to be their RFAs. Uh, you know, not that those are the guys that are going to get signed on Friday. Um, the, 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 the five UFAs we're talking about are goalie Thomas Grice, uh, you know, uh, forward Derek Broussard and some reports on Twitter today uh, from Dave Pagnota. The Islanders are talking to brass. Uh, I don't know if a deal gets worked out there. I, I, I you know, I, I was sort of skeptical that the Islanders would bring back brass. And then you got Matt Martin. Uh, certainly who's been very key for the Islanders, and that, that's going to be an interesting situation. And likewise for Andy Green, what happens with him? I know he wants to continue his career. I know how much respect Lou has for him, but is is that a fit? Um, and then Tommy Kuhnhockel, who had to leave the, uh, the bubble in Edmonton due to an upper body injury. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting week uh, with, with those two uh, competing or, uh, you know, complementing uh, events, uh, the draft and, uh, and uh, the, the free agent market. And again, like I said, uh, I spoke to uh, Brian Lawton about all of it, and uh, Brian will be part of NHL Network's coverage of the uh, NHL, the two-day NHL draft, and that's uh, you can start viewing that at uh, 5 p.m. on the NHL Network on Tuesday, and then their coverage will continue on Wednesday at 11.30 a.m. as uh, rounds two through seven are conducted. So, uh, you know, my thanks to Brian for hopping on with me and uh, kind of going across the map discussing a bunch of different issues. And uh, here's my chat with Brian Lawton. Let me just start with how you would characterize this draft coming up. You know, what are its strengths? What are its weaknesses? Sure. I see a lot of strengths, to be honest with you. Andrew, it starts at the top of the draft. I do think it's a one-horse race with Lafreniere. Love him. think he's going to be fantastic. He is a winger. Some people lose a little faith in that. There have been some great wingers. Obviously, Alex Ovechkin comes to mind as the goal standard. 
uh, Alexi Lafreniere in a lot of ways reminds me of Alex, not necessarily the way he scores goals, but certainly uh, the way that he brings the same energy level on a nightly basis and makes big plays consistently. So I'm super excited uh, about him and whatever team ends up getting him. Looks like it'll be the New York Rangers. We never know with the rumors that are flying out there. But uh, somebody's going to get a really great pick at number one. After that, uh, it's a two-horse race for the second pick, in my opinion, between Byfield and Tim Stutzla. Uh, Tim Stutzla looks like uh, he's a guy that can potentially step in next year and contribute in a big way. Byfield's a little more of a projection, one of the youngest players in the draft. Um he is a guy that, uh, boy, he reminds a lot of people potentially of a Getty Malkin. That's a little lofty for my standards, but there's a lot of potential there. And I understand the arguments that are very strong out there right now that he could have the most growth of anybody in the top 10 from the day they're picked to the finished product he ends up being. So that's exciting. After that, I think the draft is completely upside down, and it could go any which way, starting with the Detroit Red Wings. I think they need D, personally, when you look at their roster. It feels like a glaring weakness, and yet there's some really dynamic top players left that are center icemen, which wouldn't hurt uh, any team to get them. So I'm looking at a a grouping of certainly Drysdale and Sanderson as those next guys if if they go the route of picking a defenseman. Otherwise, it could be anything from Cole Perfetti uh, to some of the Europeans, Alexander Holtzman. Lucas Raymond, uh, Marco Rossi. Uh, boy, there's a lot of a lot of options. After that, there's still more depth left in this draft. Askarov, the Russian netminder, reminds a lot of people uh, of Vasilevsky in terms of his high-end potential. I don't personally think someone's going to take a goaltender in the top 10 this year, even Askarov, but it's a possibility. I think because of what's going on on the goaltending market out around the National Hockey League right now, particularly with the number of quality unrestricted free agents there are and the number of quality names that are potentially in play for trades, Matt Murray, Marc-Andre Fleury, Darcy Kemper, just to name a few, uh, I think that's going to bite into the draft, believe it or not, and where the first goalie gets taken. After that, why am I so excited about this draft? Easy. Because I think it's about 35 to 40 players deep of real quality guys. You're going to see some of the craziest things you've ever seen this year, in my opinion. You're going to see teams that are picking anywhere from 9 to 15 that will be looking at their draft list saying, our third-ranked player is available. That generally doesn't happen. Not on a team's draft list. I think it will this year. So for those reasons, I'm super excited. I don't really see any downsides to this draft. This is a fantastic draft. They have a lot of picks because there's so much quality throughout it. Well, well since I cover the Islanders, uh, I know right now they don't have a pick in the first and second round. You know, you mentioned 35 to 40 deep. The Islanders pick first at number 90. Um are there still opportunities for a team like the Islanders to, to bolster the organizational depth? Or, or what do you see Lou doing uh, with how he's positioned in this draft? Uh, there's definitely going to be players selected at 90 or beyond that go on and be real good players in the National Hockey League. The reason I would be a little bit more bullish 
for a Lou Lamarillo run team, a team that's very buttoned up, is I think because of the pandemic, some of the normalcy of how teams do business has been lost. Teams have been forced to take a look at their tech stack, something some teams have never spoken before about. <laughs> what is their ability? What is their tech stack, their ability to use technology to, to do the work that they normally have done in the field? That was lost this year. That's going to create a lot of chaos, but also a lot of opportunity. I'm not saying that Lou Lamarillo is the most tech-savvy person, but his organization is so well-run. He's so organized with how he approaches everything. He's been doing it for so long, for starters, that uh, I expect them to do well and to come up with a player. It may be a 90th. It may be in their next pick. It may be deeper in the draft. But I expect the teams that are really well-run to have an opportunity to come up with uh, at least one player that can help them down the road. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. He's he specifically mentioned his son Chris Lamar Chris Lamarillo and Steve Pellegrini Steve Pellegrini, who he worked with with the Devils as well, as really coordinating that effort with the IT department and uh and setting up the draft this year. So uh I, I you may have nailed it with that. Uh I own a tech company, so <laughs> I understand this world uh as well as I understand hockey, which I don't know if that's a lot or not, but I definitely understand <laughs> the Czech world, that's for sure. In general, how... How, you know, you, you touched upon it, but how does this off season? you know, you've been both a GM and an agent, you know, from both sides, how different is this off season going to be, you know, for the GMs going into, you know, the draft and free agency? And also from an agent point of view, the players who haven't had the interviews and, you know, how different do you see the landscape, you know, as a result of the pandemic? Uh, I always look at it in terms of chaos, and from a chaos level, I think it'll be as high as we've ever seen. The last real massive chaotic event is when we transitioned from the non-salary cap world into the salary cap world. When you had teams like the Detroit Red Wings, you know, that's payroll was essentially north of $70 million, and there were more than the, than the Wings. You could look at the Rangers, other teams in that range that had to automatically immediately get down to 39 million that was a lot of chaos and there were a lot of teams that were able to kind of profit at that time so we've got that level now it's manifesting itself in a different way because of the pandemic but uh, there will be tons and tons of chaos and that bodes well again for the organizations that are really really well run like new york islanders are well, I was going to ask you, you know, what did you make of, you know, their success this season and really two seasons under Barry and Lou? And, you know, they they have a lot of veterans, so I don't want to say they're the youngest team, but how do you think they're positioned to kind of sustain the success for, you know, a little bit and become perennial cup contenders? I would say they're very well positioned, particularly because they've got not just, you know, they don't have old players by any stretch of the imagination. But they don't have a ton of young players, but they have enough already on the roster. Guys like Barzell, Bolivier, and Kulak, and Pelic, that there's enough quality there that it can drive their growth internally, organically. That, to me, is going to be a game-changer for the New York Islanders. I don't see their top guys... You know, the really meaningful players aging out 
in terms of the next two or three years. I think they've got some staying power. They've got excellent coaching. They've got a tremendous general manager. They've got a really bright future in terms of moving into a new building. They've got an absolutely budding star in Matthew Barzell. They've got plenty of cap space to handle any issues. They've got plenty of staying power to continue to be good, but they've got staying power in terms of roster flexibility to make it through not just this year, but this stretch of three years when in it's really pretty well known that the salary cap is probably going to remain flat. That is going to handicap a ton of teams. I think the Islanders can get through that time. The cap's actually going to jump up significantly, I believe, after three years, and they'll be well-positioned to take advantage of that. Some of their mid-range guys will now be towards the end of their maybe life cycle, but um, they'll still have enough underneath, and they'll have money to spend, and I think they could keep it going for quite a while here. You, you, you talked about chaos, and, and you also brought up Matthew Barzell. I'm just, you know, as an RFA without arbitration rights, and not just for, for Barzy, but do you think more and more offer sheets are going to be part of the chaos here uh, for these RFAs? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. Do I think that someone is going to target Matthew Barzell? Absolutely, I don't. No? The Islanders have the cap space to defend it. In order to hit a number where they would even possibly consider not matching, I think according to the compensation chart, you're talking about giving up four first-round picks. I don't know a lot of GMs that will do that. I'm not saying there isn't someone out there, but I don't see it happening. Sebastian Ajo, we saw what happened with that one last year. Um, You know, Carolina just said, eh, Sebastian Ajo is a really good player. What we would get back in the return for compensation? No, we'd rather have the player signed at this dollar amount. I think the same thing would could somewhat happen for the New York Islanders, where whatever number they put on the board, it wouldn't be to that uncomfortable level of four first-rounders, and it would be to a level where the New York Islanders would say, eh, I'm just going to pay them the money. I think it'll work itself out. I think it's a non-issue. I think because of what happened last year, that it's not likely that Matthew Barzell gets an offer sheet. I do believe there's other people, though, where their team's cap position is so horrific that they are more vulnerable to a group two offer. I do believe we'll see them. I just don't think they'll have anything to do with Matthew Barzell. According, I mean, the, the numbers I'm seeing, you know, the Islanders probably – have about nine million in cap space right now with, with the play, with the contracts they have, you know, and they have Barzell and uh, Taze and Pulak also coming up for deals. Um, do you think you know to get comfortable, as you say, that that involves moving more salary, or they can make do with with where they're at right now? No, I think they might have to move some more uh, salary, but I feel like they've got some safety valves that they can activate if they had to. They could buy out a player here or there. They could make some changes. Um, You know, I just, I like the way they're lined up. I really do. I have them as a little bit more cap space I guess, than you do. Okay. You're saying you think they have... How much did you say you think they have? I I, th- I thought I saw them totaled up at like 72.6 million or so. Okay. So, 
we're talking about an 81 and a half. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I thought you said they had six million in space. No, no, that, about about nine. Yeah. Yeah, about, okay, about nine. Yeah, that makes sense. And could they reduce another three, four, five, maybe even six? Yeah, I think they've got some options to do that with their current roster. Might have to move a player you didn't want. Uh, you might have to buy out a player or two. But I do think they have the flexibility to do that, and that's why I think that teams will stay away from targeting Matthew Barzell. All right, and just one, one last one, just getting back to the beginning with uh, Alexis. And, uh, you know, do you see him kind of as a, a generational talent, an elite talent, a, a star talent? How, you know, where, where is he, you know, I guess in the ladder of how good a number one overall pick he can really be. Sure. I don't think he's necessarily in the class of Connor McDavid. If that's the pinnacle of anybody recently, that's only going back to 15, but yeah, you know, going back to, to players in the last 10, I don't think he's of that ilk. I do think he certainly um, has the ability to be, a more impactful player, even than a guy that I think is really good, just sticking to more recent drafts in Rasmus Dahlin. Um, that's a pretty good benchmark. Yeah. I'm telling you, I think he can have that impact and more. Does that make him a generational player? Probably not. I'm not saying he couldn't be that, though. It's yet to be seen. I, somebody Every year I get asked the same question, particularly about the forwards and about the defense. Yeah. When Rasmus Dahlin was a pick, I said he'd get north of 40 points. He did that in his first year. When Jack Hughes and Capo Caco were the two top guys, I said they'd get south of 35 points. That happened. If you ask me about, uh, and Connor McDavid over a point a game, that happened. You ask me about Lafreniere, and I will tell you that I believe if he gets drafted by the New York Rangers, he will get between 57 and 67 points next year. That's... Pretty darn impactful rookie season. We could go back and say Nathan McKinnon didn't get that many. He's a pretty good player. He's got the potential to develop. But uh, I hate to put that kind of pressure on guys, but I get that question every year. It's what I honestly feel for him. Well, no, that's uh, that's a pretty particular prediction there. Uh, I mean, and yeah, no, the Rangers are going to do very well for themselves. Hey, listen, Brian, I know you got a you got other things, so I, I appreciate your your time today. And and like I say, all the best to you and your family. Hopefully, we can uh, you know chat again down the road here. Well, my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. <laughs> all right, Brian, you take care. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Thanks. So thanks again to uh, Brian Lawton for spending uh, some time with Island Ice and uh, chatting with me about Islanders and the draft overall. I thought it was pretty interesting uh, what he had to say and what he had to say specifically about Matthew Barzell uh, and offer sheets. Uh, again, he, he does believe there will be offer sheets uh, offered to these RFAs, but he thinks the Islanders are well protected. Uh, against a, a, an offer sheet to Matthew Barzell, and uh, you know, nine million as we we agreed upon that the Islanders have in cap. I sort of agree with him that there is going to have to be a little bit more salary opened up, probably to uh, do what the Islanders have to do, and that's what makes this off season interesting. How is how is Lou going to do that? Um, which salaries can he shed? Uh, you know. Uh, what would he, you know, if you're trying to get out 
from the rest of uh, Johnny Boychuk's contract at $6 million per season. Uh, you know, if Mark Stahl went with the number two to the Detroit Red Wings, would, would Lou have to expend another number one to uh, get a team to take on Johnny Boychuk's contract? Or, you know, or do you go with the younger player that, you know, uh, you know we keep bringing this up, Nick Letty, um, a little bit less money off the cap, but certainly significant. Uh, but that's, you know, not that losing Johnny wouldn't be painful, but, uh, again, Nick a little bit younger and, uh, you know, that, that there's going to be some pain, uh, in, in some of these off season dealings, you're going to lose players that you wouldn't necessarily want to lose. And, uh, Brian also talked about, uh, salary or contract buyouts, you know, uh, is Leo Komarov as effective as he is and uh, as much as Barry and Lou like him? Is he, you know, is he one of the guys that might happen? Or, you know, or are some guys going to wind up, you know, having their contracts buried in the AHL, which is uncomfortable uh, for everyone involved when, when that happens? Uh, you know, does... Uh, I, I know how much Andrew Ladd wants to play. Uh, does does his knees hold up? Will he be on LTIR? A um, lot of questions to be answered, and uh, the answers start coming uh, this week, again, with the two-day draft and then into free agency. Also on Tuesday, that is the deadline, I believe, at 5 p.m. for extending qualifying offers to the restricted free agents. And uh, again, as I said, we'll... Start getting some of these answers this week. And for more answers now uh, from, from me, here's Andrew's Answers. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. So I appreciate everyone who uh, shot in an answer or question, uh, particularly on a Sunday. So we're going to get right into this. Two minutes for pessimisticking. <laughs> I like that. Two minutes says, I've heard that the Islanders have a great culture in the locker room. And, and that is that is true. Um, and he, two minutes continues, knowing you have covered all three Metro teams, is this true? Yes, it is. Um, if so, any correlation between the culture in the room and winning? And, and I will say at times, yes. Um, you know, it's it's not a hard and fast rule. But teams that you know, gel together. And, and, and I will say the Islanders are one of the most cohesive, non-clicky rooms I, I've been in. Um, you know, it, it's just, and it's it's a testament to, to, to the guys they have in that room, really. And I, I think I've always thought it started with guys like Anders Lee and, and Johnny Boychuk. They're such giving human beings and, and they care about you and their teammates so much more at times uh, than they do about themselves. And I, I think that really, you know, it's pervasive in the room. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning those two, but those two are certainly not the only players in there uh, like that. As a reporter, um, and as he mentioned, you know, I've covered the Rangers, I've covered the Devils, and I've seen all three of those teams have really, really good rooms. Look, when it, when I was on the Devils, uh, you know, uh, John Hines uh, put together, you know, that, that was a pretty good room. Andy Green will tell you that the guys really liked each other. Um, 
they had some success with a good room. And then, you know, the next season, almost the same room, they didn't have the same kind of success. So is there a correlation? There can be. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt, but I mean, you've also heard the stories, uh, you know, I don't know how much, you know, baseball history you guys remember, but, uh, you know, the Oakland days, the Oakland athletics, uh, of the mid seventies, that, <laughs> that was not always a cohesive, uh, cohesive locker room. And yet they won three straight world series, uh, the Yankees in 77 and 78, um, there was a little bit of, uh, uh, brawling and battling in those rooms and, uh, the Yankees win two world series. Uh, but you know, you, you talk to the Islanders, you talk about when they won four straight and how tight that was and how big a family that was. And, you know, Brian Trottier talks about it to this day. Uh, that family atmosphere. Clark Gillies talks about it to this day. Bobby Nystrom, Butch Goring, uh, just the family atmosphere, how much love, you know, they felt from Bill Torrey and Al Arbor. Even when Al was being tough on the players, uh, they knew it was coming from a place of love and, and Al got to know the players. So long answer, as I said, I'm trying to keep these shorter, but, um, there can be a correlation. It's not a hard and fast rule, though. Um, Chris Dennehy says, not draft-related, but as a 58-year-old lifelong Islander fan and language maven, when did putting the puck to the net become putting pucks to the net? Apologies if overly persnickety. Um, it's a good question. I would love to tell you that happened on February 16th, 1992, I want to say. Um, I, I don't know when puck became pucks, but I, I understand the idea there. You don't want to just do it once. You want to barrage the goalie with pucks. Um, you you want to you wanna bang in those rebounds. You want to shoot first mentality. So, you know, I know that's not necessarily your question, and I can't, you know, give you when it became, uh, when from putting the puck to the net to putting pucks to the net. Um, but I, the, the idea certainly is you want to do it more than once. Um, Joe Grassi says, does a possible Derek Broussard extension mean that Letty or Boychuk are on their way out, or is he just a player to expose for the expansion draft? And uh, I, I, I don't know about the expansion draft because what are you talking about with Brass? If it's a one-year deal, then uh, you know that's you know they can't they can't use him as a, a player to expose next season anyway. And then uh, are you, are you telling me Brass is getting a two-year deal at this point? I, I'm not so sure about that either. Um, so I, I don't know how much the expansion draft part of it comes into it. As far as Letty or Boychuk, you know, Brass is probably, you know, he's going to be around, what, the 1, 1. 1.5 million. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Letty or Boychuk would have to be on the way out. But, you know, the the Islanders, and, and again, you heard Brian Lawton talk about it, you know, uh, probably at some point you, you're going to have to move a player or buy out a player a little bit to uh, uh, give you a little bit more wiggle room. Uh, whether that's Letty or Boychuk, uh, you know, certainly 
candidates there. But, uh, you know, uh, again, Lou doesn't include anyone on which way he's thinking. Um, Bill Both says, I would assume that any significant upgrade on wing would involve trading ebbs. And uh, not... 100%, but Ebbs, you know, Jordan Eberly, that is, would be, you know, again, I go back to the uh, the, the, the Patrick Lane uh, situation. What what would the Winnipeg Jets want, uh, you know, for a Patrick Lane? And I assume the Jets are looking for defensemen. So I, I don't necessarily know that that kind of trade would include Jordan Eberly. He's got a no-trade clause, as I'm looking at this, um for next season and then he goes to a modified no trade clause which per the invaluablecapfriendly.com that's a 16 team no trade list so uh probably should have looked at this before you know kind of splashing around for your answer i would assume that uh jordan eberly would be a pretty tough guy to move uh this off season um the fred says who do you think holds more trade value, Bellows or Wallstrom? I am going to say Wallstrom, uh, a little bit bigger body, a little bit younger. You know, I'm not sure on the upside, uh, both first round picks, Wallstrom going at number 11. I, I would think because Oliver has only been a pro one season, um, other franchises might look at him as having a, a higher upside. So, uh, maybe Wallstrom there. Um, David Borg says, I'm curious about players like Michael Dalcall, uh, Kiefer Bellows, Noah Dobson, uh, and even Oliver Wallstrom, uh, especially for Dalcall and Bellows. Do you envision them as starters? I, I thought Dalcall played well. He's young, inexpensive, and shown growth. I think he's uh, got more value than Leo Komarov or Derek Broussard. Um Dalcal could wind up playing kind of a Leo Komarov role. Um, I, I think he could be effective uh, in that. I, I do see that. And he is younger and cheaper. So I, I see where you're going with that. Um, you know, he's, I, I don't, you know, he's, he's a different kind of player than Brass. Uh, he just is. Brass is a, a better skater. Um, you know, ultimately, Brass probably at the NHL level is going to be a more consistent score, even though, you know, he's got 10 years or whatever he does on Dal Call. Um, do, I, I, do I see Bellows and Dal Call as, as starters? Um, look, I, I think all those guys, Bellows, Dal Call, Dobson, Wallstrom, unless, you know, they're dealt between here and the next season, whenever that might be, they, they're all going to be, you know, in the proverbial mix uh, in training camp. Do I envision them as starters? You know, it, it depends, particularly with Bellows, what else Lou does this offseason. Because if, if he doesn't get scoring help, uh, you're certainly going to look at a guy like Wallstrom and Bellows to fill that role, Right. Um, I, I think MDC, uh, Michael Dalcall, that's more reliant on uh, whether Leo is with the team or not. Um, if not, I think Dalcall gets a, a good crack at, at playing sort of that agitator, penalty killer, you know, four checker, hard on the walls, hard on bodies type role. Um, 
Buff's brain says, do we have only two days left of Letty as an Islander? Um, and I assume you mean for the first day of the draft. Can't tell you that for sure. I, I would tend to think probably not. I don't know how much the trade market is going to blow up at the draft. Uh, certainly teams will be talking it may kind of spill over and become both a free agent market and a trade frenzy type deal. Richie L says, how are they expecting to get more offense and a professional caliber power play if they bring back all their same players? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Richie, I could try and come up with some kind of clever answer there. But you can hear by the laughing that um, I am a little bit stumped on this one, <laughs> um, if they bring back everyone, um, you're, you're also including Wallstrom and, and Bellows and, and, you know, Noah Dobson. And, you know, you, you're going to get some incremental improvements in offense that way. And, uh, you know, perhaps Anthony Beauvillier goes to more of what you saw in the playoffs, maybe uh, a little more consistency than he's shown in the past. And Lou did talk about focusing on keeping this team together and improving internally. Um, but it is a very legitimate question. And, uh, you know, I, I don't have an answer on the power play. They just, you know, they need a bomber. They have one in Ryan Pulak. They need to have him get his shot on net with more frequency. Um, I, I don't know what else to tell you on this one. Uh, Thomas Hahn says, is it more or less likely that Matthew Barzell gets a bridge deal? I'm going to say much, much, much more likely. Um, I, I think with the cap remaining flat, two seasons, possibly three, you hear, uh, the, the, the smart play is to hedge your bets and then get to unrestricted free agency when there is a huge jump when the finances finally come back and you're able to get that salary cap if it jumps from 81.5 into the 90s. I, I think that's what agents are trying to are going to try and position their players for. Let's see. Andy Hicks says, don't know if this is in your wheelhouse, but given Lou's assurances that they will get RFAs signed and they are talking to brass, do you think Lou and other teams have deals in place to shed salary and they just wait for certain things to fall into place? And, and in in a certain way, yeah, that's a way you can characterize it. The, the GMs are talking. I mean, they are talking a lot. Uh, they are trying to gauge the market. They're trying to lay the foundation for deals. And, you know, you know what happens point A could lead to point B, could lead to point C. So, yes, um, I, I do think Lou has a game plan uh, and it has included, you know, sussing out what the other GMs are thinking. Um Melissa says, what are the odds that the Islanders pick up Michael Grabner? And I, I would think right now, and, and Michael Grabner, the ex-Islander and, uh, you know, penalty killer extraordinaire. Um, I would think with the flat salary cap and all the Islanders' other priorities, 
I, I don't necessarily think I, I don't see that as a fit unless you're telling me, you know, that, you know, Leo's gone and, you know, maybe Matty Martin's gone. And uh, if Matt Martin's gone, do they do they then try and trade Cal Clutterbuck as well? If you're telling me you're doing a radical restructuring of the bottom six, uh, I, I could see. Lou taking a look at Michael Grabner. He, he's been good in that role, um, but I don't think the odds are high that that's that that's gonna going to happen. Uh, third round SNZ hashtag fire gase. <laughs> uh, do the Islanders try to get a first or second round selection this year? Those New Jersey picks at 18 and 20 look good to make a deal with the Devils for. If not, does Letty get moved to Montreal for a second or two seconds? I, I don't think Lou is looking to accumulate first and second round picks. I think he is looking to accumulate uh, NHL talent. He has a win now team. And win now teams, you know, you got to respect the window. And and Lou has to respect the window here. And that's not with draft picks, you know, in the lower half or, you know, mid to lower half of a first or second round. Those are not the picks that are necessarily going to help you immediately. I, I think, you know, like I said, Lou wants to win. He has a team that, you know, let's be fair about it, was on the precipice this season. They got to game six of a conference finals. Now the next step is getting to a cup final and a first round pick, you know, at 18 or 20 is not going to help uh, help you accomplish that goal right now. So you got to respect the, the Islanders window for winning now and for winning over the next, you know, maybe two seasons, three seasons. So uh, Lou, if he's trading a Letty, um, I, I think he's looking for scoring help back. Um, Beast LM says, why did they give Josh Hosang a qualifying offer? And, and to be fair, uh, I do not have it uh, that they have given him a qualifying offer yet. I, I, I'm assuming we will know all of that by Tuesday. And again, I, I've, you, you've heard me say that I, I thought Josh Hosang's time with this organization was done, uh, particularly after they loan him out to another AHL team. Uh, the only thing I can think of, um, unless, and again, pure speculation, unless Josh uh, had a sit down or a, you know, a heart to heart with Lou and, and Barry or, or whatever combination. And they believe that the, the, this guy is going to be on the straight and narrow and, and follow all the rules and uh, that that Lou and Barry want. We talked to Josh ad infinitum uh, last year during training camp about his work trying to improve his defensive game, and he thought he had. And Barry, obviously, uh, you know whether he thought Josh improved the defensive game or not, it certainly was not up to where Barry thought it was. So, you know, unless Josh had a heart-to-heart with Lou and, you know, Lou is, Lou's willing to, you know, give it another go, I, I'm wondering if they're they're gauging some, uh, 
some trade interest in him and they, they, they feel by giving him a qualifying offer that they can, you know, move him and maybe get something uh, for Josh Hosang. But uh, again, interesting. We'll, we'll start to get the real answers very soon. Like I said, NHL draft starts Tuesday, two-day draft. The NHL free agent market opens Friday. There is going to be lots of Islanders news coming up so please check back on my Twitter account for the uh, immediate updates at Agros Newsday. Please check uh, on the Newsday website or, or go buy a paper. You know, shocker. You know, maybe do that um, to see the written word. Newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports, um, or you know, subscribe to this podcast wherever. You can subscribe to a podcast. Also, please like and rate and uh, uh, help me keep a 5.0 rating. Um, five stars. Love five stars. Um, good on podcast and as an Uber driver. Um, so anyway, look, there'll, there'll be lots of news coming up. We'll, we'll go over all of it on all the different platforms, Twitter, on the Newsday website, and in upcoming podcasts. But in, until then, stay healthy, everybody, and happy hockey!